This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 205. We're recording on Thursday, April 13th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. We were just talking about it. Springs. It's it's definitely spring. Oh yeah. I got the sniffles. You you didn't say you get allergies. Occasionally, you get allergy like stuff? it kind of yeah. comes and goes. I have I'm having allergy moment like right now because I've spent the last few days house sitting for some friends out in the mm. country. Um, and there's you know the country has plants that I'm unfamiliar with. So I've had some allergy stuff from that and from their cats. And I'm not sure how much is weather and how much is cat stuff. But um, mm. I'm fighting it with lots and lots of sunshine. I'm just like. Yeah. You, if you the could see me, the world is generally irritating. So you know, you don't know what it could be. It could yeah, be it's true. That's true. The world is an irritant. Um, yeah. <laughs> can you get like antihistamines just for <laughs> being a person? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, existential uh, Benadryl. Um, <laughs> Show title. Uh, speak just just before we forget. Um, do we've got a few recommendation requests for our moms, dads, grads, summer omnibus recommendation show but do get us uh those to us if you want us to you know pick something out for you go to emails at podcast at bookriot.com could be for yeah, you and, uh, mom dad someone graduating whatever and i'll uh, say the time of year to do it. i've been talking about it on all the books but i'm not sure it's come up over here yet um i'm doing a lot of yoga and mindfulness reading lately so especially if you need something like that for yourself or for whoever like do not be afraid. We got you covered mm. there too. Like we can hit you up with mom <laughs> book recommendations all the live long day. Um, but if you need, if well, you're thinking you should, about that people stuff. should also know that we, I think as a site, we're sort of congenitally opposed to like the, you know, you go to Barnes and Noble, you see ideas for mother's day or father's day. And it's all kind of like weirdly gender, not even, it's just gendered stuff. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like no, it's, it's war, super gendered. it's, it's war or, or women's fiction or whatever it might be. And I totally understand that there's there's a kernel of truth to that stereotype, like there is sometimes with stereotypes, though not always. So if you so if you have a dad that likes military history, we're probably not going to give you like a straight up military history, but we'll put a little like br spin on it. Get a Is that, does zhuzh. that sound fair? To yeah, you? Like, no, I think it does. Like, I think that's a really good example. Like, I know in the past we have recommended um, the Hunters by James Salter. Yes. Um, for or what is like to go to war by Carl Marlantes. Right. That's so one we there's go we to do it a little it. slant. Um, yeah. And if yeah, your tell mom, the truth, but tell it yeah, slant. if it's your mom who's into military history or Great. whatever, like we we can do that too. We're not looking to mm-hmm. recommend like the mom books and the dad books. We want to hear about who your mom is or who this high school or college graduate is that you're shopping for, or what you're trying to That's read right. about over the summer that we can hook you up with. Um, this is a really fun game of stump the podcast <laughs> host. <laughs> and and I, well, I th- we got through, I think, all of the Christmas ones that came in on time. There were a few that came in after the bell that we didn't get to. But if, if for all the ones that came in before the bell, if we have to break it into two shows, we'll do that. We got oh, no yeah. problem doing that. Mm-mm. We like those shows. Those are easy to do. Uh, easy is wrong. They're fun. They're to fun. Do. They're a the lot flow. of fun. It's They'll a flow. different muscle yeah. than what we are normally is. using on this show. Yes. Right. Okay. Do you want to do our sponsor yeah. for the, the show and we'll, then we'll do it? 
I think, uh, man, this is appropriate for spring. Um, third love is back. And if you're getting into your tank tops and sundresses and, you know, t-shirts that are maybe a little clingier than your winter wear, you're probably thinking about wearing a good bra. Um, women on average change bra sizes six times in our lives. So finding the perfect fitting bra really can make a difference. I don't know a bra wearing person out there who doesn't have a story about like a terrible, embarrassing thing that happened with a bra or an uncomfortable bra that you just kept wearing wearing because you thought that bras were supposed to be uncomfortable, but my friend, it does not have to be this way. Third Love developed bras using thousands of real women's measurements. They range in size from double A to G cups. So you got like, that's quite a range there. Whoever you are, they can find a bra for you. And they offer signature half cup sizes between some of those steps, not all of them, but like, I think there's A and a half between A and B and there's B and a half between B and C. So if you've had a hard time or you've been trying to fit yourself into a bra that's not fit for you, Third Love might have some good options. No matter your body shape, you can find a fit that works. They also have an awesome tool called the Fit Finder. It takes 30 seconds to determine the best size and style for your body. I've used this. It works. Third Love sent me some bras, based on it. And I've been very happy with the experience there. Um, the The straps don't slip. The sides don't overflow. The cups are made of memory foam. Like It's not like your memory foam mattress, but they mold to your body instead of trying to mold your body to your bra. And Third Love stands behind the products so much that they're willing to let our listeners try a bra from the 24-7 collection for free. You just pay $2.99 for shipping. So you get the bra, you take the tags off, you wash it, you wear it, you really live in it the way you would with any favorite bra. If you love it, you keep it, they'll charge your card. If you don't love it, you can send it back for free and your card will not be charged. So go to thirdlove.com slash bookriot to get started today. That's thirdlove.com slash bookriot. Well, the big story this week in the in the world of books and reading is, um, you know, I guess second only to the Nobel Prize in terms of repeatable news events in the world of books is the Pulitzer Prizes mm-hmm. um, that come out. And they came out, uh, you know, and the, as you know, they cover journalism, which we're going to we're going to pass over for now because we don't know anything about that. And it's not really the, the show. So we'll, we'll focus on the book stuff um, and the you know the 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 big award the most publicized award is the pulitzer for fiction and uh, no surprise to us or i think anyone that listens to the show or or even has a passive a moderate or above interest in current publishing news i'm not surprised that the underground railroad by colson whitehead yeah no no one is surprised very well deserved um and i would guess this is just the you know beginning of the Underground Railroad award-winning train. Is it the beginning or the end? What's left? I thought the, I thought the Pulitzer oh. was, the, picked, was the, the, the caboose, but I could be wrong about that. Because Penn yeah, Faulkner came out. Right, and the, have we had the National Book Awards yet? Did, the, did mm, that happen? Yes, we did. Because I saw the Underground Railroad was like the first one to win both of those since like, right. yeah, since the shipping news okay. in 94. You're right. It's them. the end. This is the caboose this of the it. award-winning train. This is it. This is the, the cherry on the Sunday. No surprise, and I think we said on last show that the Pulitzer is a little bit more predictable than some of the others. Like, you know, Whitehead had all the credential, and there's no there's no credentials, but it sold. Uh, the reviews were great. Um, it was the it was a darling of the literary publishing community, but also you know, it, 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 looking at the sales number, it's an Oprah pick. You know, it's political, but not. It's literary, but not. It, it just it, it ticked all the boxes mm-hmm. you'd really yeah, want to tick here. Socially relevant. So, 
socially well. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way no. at all. I would have voted for it. I would have been... I was thinking, I might have been genuinely upset if it hadn't... I was thinking, I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends what else... Had to, I mean, if if Home Going by Yeah, Jesse or something had won and said, I, I wouldn't have been upset because I thought that was excellent as well. But I guess over a replacement book that I hadn't read, like the other finalists, Imagine Me Gone by Adam Hazlitt or The Sport of Kings by C.E. Morgan. I haven't read those, though I do want to read The Sport of Kings. Um, I would have been like irritated. Yeah. Well, irritated and, and uh, irritated and above for this. I don't know uh, what you think. Yeah, about I that, think I, I would have been, been irritated. And you know, I, I really loved Homegoing. That was my favorite yeah. book of 2016. Um, and I think it's really remarkable as someone's debut novel, but what Colson Whitehead did in the Underground Railroad in my reading is a step above um, mm. what yeah, Jesse did there. Like, I think she's going to have an amazing career and grow into it. But in my interpretation of 2016 fiction, there was really no alternative. Like I was sitting mm-hmm. with, okay, what are, I, I was interested in what the other finalists were going to be. Cause this is the interesting thing about the Pulitzers is that you don't know who the finalists are until the prize until the is day announced. Of, yeah. And so it's like, here's what won and here's what else we were considering and it's always interesting to see what the ones the 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 also rans are sometimes much more surprising and interesting than the winners mm-hmm. of like oh yeah i didn't hear much i mean i saw imagine me gone last year but i didn't hear that much about it i didn't I would either be really interested in how it ended up in the finals here like when you have a book like homegoing that was a possibility. Um, mm-hmm. So that, you know, I, yeah, I think I would have been like, I would have been annoyed. Like, okay, are they just yep. trying to do something unexpected by picking a book that's not the Underground Railroad? Like, it, this is just, it seems to me that 2016 was one of those years where there was an obvious best book and it was the Underground Railroad. <laughs> and, right. Yeah. And that's, it's like almost like the Academy Awards where some years you're like, okay, if that movie, like, I don't know. Like, I remember Schindler's List going in, it was like, right. everyone was like, if Schindler's List doesn't win, it's going to be like, uh, you know, a, a real upset. And I think that's kind of the cat. As far in in my memory, I think I said this on Twitter because a lot of you guys who listen to the show were tweeting at us saying you guys picked it. I was like, well, we, <laughs> we did, but don't get, don't get. I'd like to take all credit for it, but I don't know. Like it's like picking Schindler's List in '94. <laughs> I think is when Schindler's List one well, was yeah. released. So, I mean, which is and not to disparage either of them, but it was just the it was the the leader in the clubhouse. Um, yeah, we didn't do Kings, anything. I was like, we didn't do anything like surprising or bold by No, no, it. we didn't like get it. We didn't go into our lab and like get a bunch of Bunsen burners go, go cooking and like drop some sales numbers. <laughs> or and like, this is going to be, the, this is the sleeper hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, if we had picked Behold the Dreamers for the Penn Faulkner or something like that, oh, then yeah. you could have maybe give us some additional plots. The Sport of Kings, I just want to mention real quick because that's on my list though. It's, it's a really mm-hmm. long book about horse racing, which... Just as a topical thing, I'm not super interested, but I read C.E. Morgan's debut novel, which I thought was amazing, that I can't remember the title of right oh, now. Oh, I was it trying has, to ask you what that is. It's got like a generic sort of literary fiction title that could be a bunch of different stuff. But anyway, I'm going to read that. And I heard a lot of great things about it, but it didn't sell. Like mm. it, didn't, it didn't sell. And so that's, I think, one thing the Pulitzer does, whether they say it or not, take into consideration. And it could be even a thinking fast and slow thing, because the way that the Pulitzers are selected is they get, they have a panel of people in literature that recommend things to the full Pulitzer board, right? Yes. And the full Pulitzer board is sort of generally interesting intellectual arts, drama, journalist sorts of people, plus people from the donors and other things of the Pulitzer board. And there's a bunch of them. So if you have something that they've sort of heard about already, which the Underground Railroad passed that test, Mm -hmm. and the Goldfinch 
pass that test, then I think that adds you know another layer of probability to winning. Whereas the sport of kings, it's got no name, it's got no brand equity, right? Um, to use um, terrible business jargon. <laughs> Her first book was all the living. All see, did I say that generic literary fiction title? <laughs> um, isn't there a any Dillard book called All the Living too, or the Living? I don't oh, know. There's something. It's there like, is. It's there's. Getting, it's something with living. Yeah. There's namespace pollution uh, around that particular <laughs> title for me. Uh, so that's let's see other things here. Uh, I don't know anything about the history winner, Blood in the Water, the Attica Prisoner Uprising in oh, 1971. Liberty One read that friend. and talked about it on all the books and said, it "Oh, was really? Liberty really read yeah, that? That's yeah, a shock. yeah." She said it was <laughs> Liberty in <laughs> a prison book. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? That's shocking. It's like you and a, a religious cult book. Um, then the <laughs> right. finalists there were Brothers at Arms, American Independence, and the Men of France and Spain Who Saved It um, by Lori, uh, Larry D. Ferrio. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the author of the Ferrero. winner for history was Anne, uh, excuse me, Heather Ann Thompson, Pantheon book. And then the other finalist for history was uh, New England Bound Slavery and Colonization in Early America by Wendy Warren. Biography or autobiography, the winner was The Return Father's Sons and the Land in Between by... He- Hisham Matar. Um, the finals were In the Dark Room by Susan Faludi and When Breath Becomes Air by the late Paul Kalaniti. Is that right? I think I've Kalaniti, heard that right. I think. Yeah. Kalaniti. Um, which that one. I cry also just thinking the, about that book. That I, I can't. I can't even. I, I haven't read it and I can't even look at, at the name of it without like getting <laughs> yeah. a little verklempt. Um, that one passes all the tests uh-huh. that the Underground Railroad one sort of did too. So I'm not. Since I didn't. I don't have any. Um, emotional skin in the game about that. I'm not irritated. I'm just a little bit, I guess I'm a little bit surprised. Um, but I don't follow, I don't have a good spidey sense about the non uh, fiction categories or poetry, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, then uh, for poetry, Olio uh, by Tayemba Jess from Wave Books uh, won. Um, the finalists there were the collected poems of Ad- the late Adrian Rich. And I don't know if this is double X or 20, it's the Roman numeral two, uh, for 20, but Campbell McGrath. Um, I kind of, I kind of feel like the the collected life omnibus books in poetry is always cheat, and that's not cheating. It's just that's tricky. I mean, that's tough. I think yeah, that's tough to do. I w- I've been thinking about this because the Mary Oliver that I'm reading is like, yes. is new in selected works, and it has I think it was it's either Pulitzer or National Book Award on it. But it's like you waited until she released the collected works to give her the Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> Well, no, this is a final. She may have won for an an individual title before. I have no idea, but I just, it just seems seems really hard. Like, really, my my little volume of books is competing against the complete corpus of. (laughs) Like that is a rough spot. Yeah, I think it's it's a weird situation for both the writer of the collected works and also uh, all the people competing against someone who has a huge body of work like that. Um, Right. It almost feels like that's like that should be like, I don't know, a different like there's a Nobel Prize of poetry for the national mm-hmm. book award lifetime like, achievement look, lifetime achievement yeah something like that's really what that kind of is basically right mm-hmm. i mean anyway uh general nonfiction, evicted poverty and the profit in the american city this also passes sort of the underground i saw this book everywhere it's so good man it's rough uh, it's i've so heard good. it's great I, I really need to to read this it's good on audio um, it was portland or the multnomah county library's like read-along book so i also uh, availability bias maybe mm. Um, in my sense, too. And then in a different key, the story of autism by John Donovan and Karen Zucker um, was a finalist and the politics of mourning, death and honor in Arlington National Cemetery by Mickey McElia. Interesting. And then, yeah, I haven't heard of either of those books, Mm-mm. the the a different story of autism or the politics of mourning. Um, any thoughts? I mean, we kind of ran through these. 
Any I'm thoughts? a little surprised. I guess I didn't think of evicted as mm. ticking all those same boxes that underground railroad ticked, but I do think it's a worthy work for sure. Mm. I was, I was kind of stuck thinking about what the general nonfiction from last year would be. And often those picks are like super heavy works of like major political yeah. or social histories that I haven't heard of or read because that's not how I spend my free time. Um, mm-hmm. But so th- I was also a little surprised there, but really happy to see that it's the subject matter is difficult because it's just so sad and so maddening this, um, rampant mass well rampant and uh, redundant but mass evictions um and the sort of housing inequality and how that's tied in with racial inequality and socioeconomic inequality and all these structures sort of converge around where people live or aren't allowed to live Um, and he goes i think what really makes the book work is that it's not just theory and numbers he's presenting it through the lenses of several families um, who went through evictions over and over. Um, and he grounds all this, all these real pieces of data um, in the stories of people that you can get attached to and really feel for. It's, it's great. Yeah, it's interesting, too. I don't, know, I don't know how these categories are defined because theoretically, general nonfiction could be an umbrella category that encompasses both history and biography or autobiography, mm-hmm. right? Like, I don't, I've never seen it Theoretically, you could win the general nonfiction and the biography Pulitzer, but I'm guessing that there's delineation between them because uh, The Blood in the Water, the Attica Prison Uprising of 1971 is definitely history, but it's also mm-hmm. general, definitely general nonfiction. General nonfiction. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the story of autism feels like that could also be a history book. It kind of, even I though, mean, looking at these three, it kind of looks like the general nonfiction is more like the social science-y nonfiction. Yeah, yeah, right, sure. Um, but the mass evictions after the 2008 mm-hmm. economic crash is a history. That's it's, true, it's, yeah. It, 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 you're right. You could draw the lines around that way, and it, it wouldn't be arbitrary necessarily. It would just be specific. Um I guess the general nonfiction category, maybe what I want is like a different title for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so yeah, interesting there. I think a very nice um, group of winners. Did you read the In the Dark Room by Susan Faludi? Was that you? Did you no, that I didn't. She's a photographer. I think there's another wrinkle about that book too. Like it's about her life as a photographer, but also there's some family drama stuff. Anyway, I remember my ears picked up because I'm interested in a autobiography of a photographer because I think, you know, I like people who do stuff and learning about how their stuff gets done and what it's mm. like to be a craftsman uh, or craftswoman in a particular profession. But that one also had this other little wrinkle. I think, I can't remember what it is. I'll look it up after and maybe will follow up in the show notes. But, um, so I, that kind of puts a cap on the, the year in 2016. I mean, I think in the fiction side, it is the Underground Railroad, the year of the Underground Railroad for sure. Um, you know, the other thing you were talking about, the nonfiction is, in, in literary fiction, I guess I feel like we both cover, we both are interested in literary fiction, so there's some of it is just what we're interested in. I wonder in the worlds of nonfiction, are there are there some like bizarro versions of us mm. that uh, have have their ten their sort of tendrils out about what is picking up momentum or not? Oh, interesting. I, I, do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. in literary fiction, we could have a conversation with a few of us in literary fiction, be like. Yeah, here are the kind of handful of books that we have a pretty good sensibility of what it is. I just feel like there's so many books in history, and it's a little more diffuse. Yeah. Like, history and nonfiction is a little more interest 
driven whereas literary fiction you're sort of in for the genre does that make sense yeah no I, it I does like uh, other than i think uh, we only have a few contributors who read super widely in nonfiction. Yeah. and kimukura is the one whose name i can come up with right um, without hesitation who she will read nonfiction about just about any subject mm-hmm. um and if it's well written and good she will enjoy it. But I think you're right that most people's nonfiction reading is guided by their interests. Like Liberty will read any civil war history mm-hmm. or anything nonfiction about the civil war. I will read any nonfiction thing about like fringe religious groups. <laughs> um, like that, I'm just, I don't even need to know more about it than it's about some fringe religious group. And I'm like, okay, sold. I would like yeah, to I learn. Mean, I mean, yeah. Like for me, yeah. like history of technology, if it sounds interesting at all, boom, done. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah, or like uh, somebody at one of the publishers has sort of gotten my number and is sending me things about like, you know, the intersection of social science and hard research. So like I've got a book mm-hmm. coming up about um, this, the science of why we're socially awkward. And like, okay, you were paying attention. <laughs> like, <laughs> But I do think like my, my at least idiosyncratically on this show um, or mm. anecdotally um, – our nonfiction reading is guided by what we want to learn more about. And if you're not kind of a true polymath in that sense of just wanting to learn more about yeah. anything and everything, it's, it would be harder. We should, we should call Kim and ask her. Like, Kim, yeah. Tell us about your, give us, tell us the secrets of nonfiction specialists. Right. And what do you like, think about the nonfiction finalists yeah, for the Pulitzer? Right. Could you, were, are you shocked? Did you see that coming? Uh, that, that would be interesting to know. Okay. Let's, let's marshal. Yeah. Uh, talking about uh, wrapping up 2016, looking yeah. back. This is always interesting. We always talk about it on the show. Um, the ALA released the top 10 most challenged books of 2016. It's interesting to note that the sample here is 323 challenges that were recorded by the Office for Intellectual Freedom um, in the last calendar year. I can't decide if I think that's a lot or a little. Like It's about five and a half per state. Um, that in- doesn't seem... The law of small numbers suggests that's not a lot. Yeah. Right? And we also don't get a count per. Like right. there's 323 challenges. We don't know... Go ahead. I'm sorry. I interrupted what, as you were wondering oh, about yeah, data yeah, stuff. No, let's wonder about these things together. Because like number one is This One Summer, which is by Mariko and Jillian Tamaki. Um, it mm-hmm. was challenged because it includes LGBT characters, drug use and profanity, and was considered sexually explicit with mature themes. But there's no parenthetical here that says like of the 323 challenges, it 90 got, of them were this Did it get 80 of book. them? Four of them? Right. 290 of them? We don't know. Yeah. How right. many times do you have to get challenged out of 323 to be in the top mm-hmm. 10? Um, it is interesting. Like setting aside that we have questions about the methodology, um, the top five all have LGBT characters. um, And that is the reason for the book being rejected. Number two is Drama by Raina Telgemeier. Um, It includes LGBT characters, is deemed sexually explicit, and it was considered to have an offensive political viewpoint. Uh, George by Alex Gino, because one of the characters is a transgender child. I Am Jazz by Jessica Herthel and Jazz Jennings, illustrated by um, Shala McNicholas. And uh, that also contains transgender kids and sex education. Jazz Jennings is transgender. So it's a biography. So 
uh, yes. And then Two Boys Kissing by David Levithan, which I think is a couple of years old. So it's just yeah, hanging it's on. Around. Yeah. Um, it has, oh, the cover has two boys. It's a YA book that has two boys kissing on the cover. And, and I guess there's the title that it's called Two Boys Kissing. Right. <laughs> okay. Consider to include cover and illustrations right there on the billboard. <laughs> um, the back nine or back, you know, back half of the list, Looking for Alaska by John, Re- John Green because of a sexually explicit scene that may lead a student to quote sexual experimentation see that makes me think that there's one challenge for that book because that's awfully like there were multiple challenges that said may lead a student (laughs) or i I think these are like sort of composites of the reasons but but yeah and also like i've got news for you people who are worried that a john green book is going to make teenagers sexually curious (laughs) right because if they didn't read that um they they wouldn't be interested in they'd have no yeah nothing it's not like they have the internet Right. Or other teenagers, or, or, or hormones, or yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm say. Um, big hard sex criminals, which is a um, collected volume of the comic Sex Criminals by Matt Fraction and um, Chip Zdarsky. Or Zdarsky, um, it was considered sexually explicit. It kind of is. Yeah, I'm just. Uh, I don't know that it needs to be considered. So I, 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 I love that comic, but it's pretty explicit. I can sort of understand, like, not wanting Mm -hmm. this on the shelf of a school library, perhaps. Um, There's, yeah. Uh, Then number eight, this one's interesting. Oh, sorry, number nine is the interesting one. Eight is Make Something Up, Stories You Can't Read by Chuck Palahniuk. Profanity, sexual explicitness, and this is a great quote, being (laughs) disgusting and all-around offensive. It's my new Twitter bio. Uh, and then here's the interesting one, the Little Bill mm. series by Bill Cosby, illustrated by Varnett P. Honeywood, challenged because of the criminal sexual allegations against the author. I would love to know how many times that happened. And then number 10, which poor Rainbow <laughs> Roll, Rowell, Rainbow Rowell, rhymes with towel. I don't know. I, um, you know I don't know how to say that. You know there's a 0% chance <laughs> I'm going to get that right. It's J.K. Rowling, Rainbow Rowell. Rainbow Rowell rhymes with towel. Um, Eleanor pa- Eleanor and Park. J.K. Is Rowling likes to go bowling. They're, sure, I always think of they see me rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, Eleanor anyway. Park, written by Rainbow Rowell, mm-hmm. ex- challenge for, for offensive, offensive language. Yeah, which it's been years since I read that. I cannot recall what the offensive language might be. Um, yeah, so. so I mean, I, the story of 2016 and challenging is LBGDQ, like mm-hmm. t- hands down. That is the issue going on in challenging books in libraries. In 2015, I Am Jazz and then Beyond Magenta Transgender Teen Speak Out. Um, those were the two. Oh, I guess Two Boys Kissing was number 10. There's sort of a few, but mm-hmm. like there was, there was three, but they were much more spread out. This is so top heavy. Yeah. The top five were all LBGTQ. Here's LBGTQ. The- yeah, here's some interesting. I'm scrolling down this the link that we'll have in the show notes. You can just scroll all the way down yeah. to previous years. Super interesting. In 2015, there were 275 challenges, so there were about 50-ish more in 2016 than 2015, but in 2014 there were 311, in 2013 307. Like it's kind of hovering around here. In 2012 there were 464. It drops for a few years, then in 2009 460, in 2008 513. And 2004, you keep going, 547. The big like, year is 2004, 547 there, challenges. So we're down like and, 40% in the last decade. Are I don't know if these are statistically significant because law of small numbers, but there are spikes in election years. 
Like, oh, interesting. I was just scrolling, noticing that like 2004 is a big, is a lot higher. Mm, um, love small numbers. There's mm-hmm. only three election years. Let my brain I mean, find it could patterns. Be. <laughs> yeah, your brain wants to find a story. I mean, it could be just there's also there's also nine years and three mm-hmm. of them are election years. Uh, but yeah, that's I, I wouldn't be surprised. Though 2016 was an election year and this is the lowest one. Oh, no. 2016 is higher than 2015 and 2014. Yeah, but but yeah. 2013 is more. No. Or I'm sorry, no, no, 2011 is more. Yeah. 2010 is more. There, It's been lower of the late, last few years. I guess that's one thing we mm-hmm. can say. The last few years have been lower by quite a bit than 10, 12 years ago. I don't know why that is. Yeah. Any idea? I have no idea. No idea why that is. No. Um, so there you go. Go read some of these. Yes, check them out from your local library. The one I've heard the most positive things, and again, I've heard something about all of them, but George by Alex Gino, I've heard his, mm-hmm. uh, it's YA book, I think. I'm not, I, I'm not sure. I, uh, I think I'm it's children's as, or middle grade. Children's? middle. Uh, see, I, that's what I was going to say. I'm bad at, <laughs> there's lines there that I don't have a it's good sort people. of grokking of. Um, so you want to talk, what do you want to talk about next? Yeah, you, should we talk about our new thing? And then Let's we'll... talk about our new thing. That okay. sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, did we tease this last week? We've teased a little bit that there was going to be a thing. Something. I don't think we said anything more about it. Okay. So, earlier this week, or by, by the time the show releases, it will be last week, um, we released a, an exclusive community, basically, called yeah. Book Riot Insiders. Um, it's a subscription program. You can subscribe monthly or annually. And you get access to exclusive content, hangouts, and goodies, and some time, you know, with us. So prices are three dollars a month or twenty nine dollars a year. The next level is five bucks a month or forty nine dollars a year, and then the highest level is ten dollars a month or ninety nine dollars a year. Those annual packages are really good deals. But here's what you get: depending on what level you select, um, you get a behind the scenes newsletter from staff. We promise that this will include lots of whimsy and probably pictures of pets. Um, <laughs> Jeff will deeply search for his whimsy for the month that he's. It's on around here somewhere. Duty. I think I buried under a floorboard. Uh, I'm not sure. We could gift that and put it in yeah. the newsletter. And it would qualify. Me hammering the floor like a telltale heart. Yeah, yes. Where is my whimsy? There. Where is Where's it? my whimsy? I hear it ticking. I hear it beating. Uh, exclusive deals in the Book Riot store just for Book Riot Insider subscribers. There is a dedicated Read Harder podcast that you can get mm. access to. You can only get access to it if you are a Book Riot Insider. It's being hosted by our great coworker, Sharifa Williams, who's been a contributor and a contributing editor with us for a long time. And she is coming on full time in May. She is co-hosting it with Josh Corman, who if you listened to the podcast that we did a few years ago for the Riot Read when we had like a one book a month thing, he hosted that and did a great job. They are so interesting and funny together. Um, There's a new episode of that show every two weeks, and each one gives recommendations for books to read in one particular category of the Read Harder Challenge. They've recorded a handful of these, and like already, Sharifa is singing and giving out wine recommendations and being way cool. Cooler than the rest of I us. know it's a little unfair. It is we'll, unfair. We'll put a veil over that. For now. Uh, but it's super fun to listen to. And then here's the big shiny. Um, we have talked for as long as this show has existed, and even for as long as Book Riot has existed. About and before, how, I think when we were just bloggers yeah, doing stuff on the internet, yeah. About how hard it is to find like a good and easy to use place to locate books that are coming out soon, um, and or that are coming out in the future. See what you're interested in. Keep track of them. So 
powered by Liberty's massive book knowledge. <laughs> Human curation is what we yeah. call it. Yeah, and voracious curate, curation and reading. Um, we have got a new release index that you can sort it by month. It's broken down by what week of the year the books are coming out. So like the week of April 11th, the week of April 18th, since books always come out on Tuesdays. You can filter it by genre. You can filter it, um, I think, for a few other th- You can do a, like the search feature yeah. on it. It's really amazing. You can, you can tag stuff to make your own watch yeah, list, you can which keep is your, cool. Yeah, you can keep a watch list. It's gorgeous. We worked really hard on it for several months um, thinking about Okay, so like Edelweiss is utilitarian but unfun a pro to tool. use. Let's put it that way. That's a pro tool, <laughs> right? And digging through all these catalogs, um, what what do we as readers and what do just readers out in the world want for a way to see what books are coming out soon and to sort of keep track of them? I think we did a pretty good job. Um, I'm just going to toot my own horn for having you know worked on this for a long time. Um, I'm really excited that it's out in the world. Everybody who's seen it so far has been like, well, I guess this is my life now, just scrolling through <laughs> yeah, right. new releases. And at the highest level, at the $10 a month or $99 um, a year level, you get all those things that we've talked about. Plus, you get to join an insiders-only forum on Slack where you can hang out with other insiders and with Book Riot staff and contributors. Um, it's so far, like, we're, what, 24 hours into having this Slack yeah, it's as super we're fun. Talking. It's been really fun so far. It's it's so fun. People are talking to each other. We're doing book recommendations. I've already told people how to make my favorite cocktail. Um, mm. There are going to be lots of just informal. I sh- we showed off our reading spreadsheets. Yeah, we did that. Yeah, <laughs> and my tab situation. We had a conversation so about our favorite books of 2016 with the Book Riot readers. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, so it is. That's There's- a few. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, finish. I would say there's going to be like some, it's mostly informal, but like we're going to do a monthly happy hour on, there's a channel over there for the Read Harder Mm -hmm. podcast. So anytime podcast listeners, oh, sorry. Yeah. I was looking at the words Read Harder on my Mm -hmm. notes, right? (laughs) Um, But there's a channel for the Book Riot podcast. So like if you are listening to the show, you've got a thing to say to us and you join insiders, you can talk to us on Slack anytime. Um, Mm -hmm. And then monthly, we'll have a designated hangout time when we come and like hang out in that channel. Liberty and I are going to do that for all the books. Jen and Amanda are doing it for Get Booked. Josh and Sharifa have a Read Harder channel and a bunch of other stuff that's going on over there. It's, so a, play, like, it's, a, it's a playground. I mean, that's the is. way to, I mean, it's, it's something we've been thinking about doing and trying to figure out a community thing for a long time. We had forums way back in the day. Um, we don't have to tell you guys about internet comments or Facebook comments. is not a place anyone wants to be for any length of time. Um, talking about books on Twitter is not really a thing. It's just the way that threading works and it's the wild blue ocean and, you know, that, that does, that's not really great. And we've been trying to figure out some way where we could have, you know, basically a water cooler where Book Riot people could talk to each other and that's not Goodreads, you know, that's not a conversation space. Like this is real-time conversation. It's people who are in the, you know, they can't create a troll account and come in and like spam you or stalk you or whatever. Like this is people, and because they're paying, I don't think there's any, there's any, you know, that that's part of the deal. It's like, you really want to do that, want to want to want to do this to do it, um, and you're looking to get something out of it. So that's ten dollars a month and ninety ninety dollars a year. That's the top level. And why are we doing it this way? I mean, there's a couple of things going on here. One, these are some things we've been wanting to do, like the new release index, the Read Harder podcast, the Slack community, that we didn't see a good way to support with advertising. Like we got to pay for this stuff, right? Like we're a for-profit enterprise. We've got employees that we pay, you know, real money to. And healthcare coverage. Liberty's got to eat. We got office space. You know, we got all the things that a business goes into. So, 
if we're going to do something that takes time and energy, and this is what it, it takes time and energy to do this stuff, we've got to figure out a way to pay for it. And if advertising isn't going to pay for it, then we need the readers and the audience members to do it. So we've priced it where, you know, for $10 a month, that's a commitment, but then you're going to get a lot out of it. I think kind of the sweet spot one, if you're not going to hang out in the Slack a lot or interested in talking to other people, you get the podcast, the newsletter, the new release index, the deals um, for five bucks a month or $49 a year. That's a pretty good value. And if you just want to dip your toe in, uh, $3 a month or $20 a year, you get the discount um, and the newsletter where you get behind the scenes stuff too. So there's levels of interest. I think it's interesting to shake out. Already we're seeing much more demand for the top level one than I would have mm-hmm. thought. Like I, that Slack community right now too is, it's gated at 250 people. Um, not to say we couldn't do more than that, I don't think. We just don't know how active it's going to be. And we don't want it to be like, you know, a huge, crazy scrum. Like we want it to feel like, it's relatively intimate, like there's activity, but it's not overwhelming. Um, so that's one thing we're trying to manage there as well. So that, that's the deal. And, you know, I think it's an interesting move for us. Um, I think it's important for us too to say that this isn't a subscribe and pay money to us to keep us in business move. Oh, this is yeah, a, no. one of those things. Um, this is not an NPR membership drive. No, no, it's not. Like if you don't want this stuff, don't buy it. Um, we'll take the money. Like if... I don't know. Maybe if you, I guess maybe if you like read the site all the time and you run an ad blocker and it makes you feel morally better to give us three bucks a month, that I could get behind. But it don't feel like it's a donation or a charity or these guys are going out of business. Like this is a product that's going to need to stand on its own. And after we do it for six months and there's crickets, we'll shut the thing down and we'll go on doing the rest of our stuff that are doing just fine. But this is a service and a product we want to offer that we wanted to try. That new release calendar and the Slack community, those are two things, especially that we wanted to give put out there in the world, the Read Harder podcast too, I should say. We just weren't sure about the Read Harder podcast. Like, you know, we need three, five, 10, 15,000 people to listen to a podcast episode to be able to sell advertising and, you know, make our money back on it. And we just weren't sure about the Read Harder podcast because it's a group, that's a niche within a niche, um, which is fine and a great kind of thing to put in something like this. So there's two episodes a month of the Read Harder podcast, so $5 a month. Even if you're just subscribing to the podcast, you know, if you're thinking about it that way, you're paying a couple bucks a month for the Read Harder podcast, which I think is a pretty, like, what I, when we were looking at some of the research stuff for how pat- Patreons and stuff work, a lot of them were podcasts, and they do $1 to $5 per episode or per month. Um, so we tried to price it in line there. And then the Slack one, it's $10 a month, so it's a, basically you get the Slack access for another $5 a month or, you know, 50 bucks a year. And, you know, that is going to be the most time because we have full-time staff and contributing editors in there. You know, we can see them talking and typing to people right now. Um, So it it costs a lot, not in terms of the tech, because Slack is, you know, a really nice off-the-shelf tool and there's good mobile apps and desktops apps, but that's human resources. That's expensive and doesn't scale. Um, So it's premiumly priced. And you know, come come check it out for a month if that's the way you want to try it. You can ask us questions about it. We're still going to respond to you, podcastofbookride.com. Still going to respond to you on Twitter. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. We're not going to choke off like the other kinds of normal, casual um, access. You know, it, you know, it's not one of those types of deals. It's just a different kind of access. Um, and we'll talk about it. At, you know, we're going to use our own empty podcast slots to try to get people interested and excited about it. Um, but we're excited about it. I think it's a really great space. Like, you know, I had an experience, and we were talking about this, I had an experience on Twitter last week where I was asking something about romance. It was blockheaded and, and stupid, but not, but not also in its own way. Um, 
And because Twitter is public and people don't know you and something gets retweeted, like my mentions turned into a mess and people who didn't have any sense of who I was or what I was trying to figure out or the kinds of questions I'm interested in, like it just became a mess. And I couldn't even, I had to like step away from Twitter. It, I'm a big boy and my feelings weren't hurt anything like that. It was more frustrating, right? Because yeah. I was really interested in having sort of a, a discussion or feedback about genre and like I was asking about the happy ending um basically requirement for something to be called romance with a capital R genre and you know, asking, is it the most restrictive trope in, in uh, genre fiction? And if I had to do over again, I would use different words, but my, my question was, it's, I think it's interesting. And this is just as a way to show you the kind of discussions I'd like to have. And there's not a space to put that is like, what is the, what are the, what are the effects of that? Right. Cause you think about, and then I was thinking about today in the book writer insiders, like we're having a conversation about the handmaid's tale, right? You could, in in romance, it needs to be mostly a love story. It can have some other stuff, but also it needs to have a happy ever after or a happy for now, an H-E-A or H-F-N, which I know. Like, that's something I knew. And the only other equivalent in genre is kind of a mystery, but it doesn't seem to me quite so rigid where you need to know who killed the whatever and mm-hmm. maybe why they did that. Now, there's some border things, and the mystery people I asked the subsequent day, a similar kind of question – didn't seem quite as insistent that like it's part of the genre where the romance fans and readers said it's not a trope it's the definition i'm like okay that's a i made i made a mistake in the vocabulary and i didn't you know i don't read a lot of romance i read a few romances but i'm not in that world and whereas you can imagine an alternate version of romance where the requirement is love story but it can end in a variety of different ways. Just like in dystopian novels, the requirement is not, it's about dystopia and the resistance wins or something at the end, or it's forever. And you you could, that there's a plot element that's required of mysteries and romances that aren't required of other genres. Yeah. And the thing that happened to you when you were thinking, you were basically thinking out loud about this thing and you wanted some people to think out loud with you. And Twitter has become, a really difficult place to try to think out loud about things because of the scale of it, because of the tone. And so the Slack is a place where we're, we are all going to basically know each other Mm -hmm. um, and you know what the other person is coming in with. And hopefully it can be a place that you can think out loud about stuff with other people who care about books and are interested and are all coming in that good faith effort. You're not coming in to ask your question about romance because you want to piss people off. Yeah. Um, Right. Right. And I understand romance gets slammed worse than anybody and i totally understand the lack of, you know they, they don't have patience and they don't need to they don't need to have there's no reason for them to have patience with me or give me the benefit of it. that's what i understand but this is like a benefit of the doubt kind of place right like if i had asked the same yeah. question and there were some romance and, fans in there i would certainly saying critiquing of my question like actually you know it's not trope is doesn't doesn't seem fair it's part of the definition okay yeah, and i yes. think you know we like, can we can say that yeah. we're pretty confident it will work this way because we've seen this happen. We've been we've had our staff on Slack for almost yes. three years, um, almost exclusively on Slack. We don't really use email internally, um, and we've had our contributors on Slack for a couple mm-hmm. of years. And that sort of like gentle teaching moment happens all the time about things book yeah. related and not, where someone is thinking out loud about a thing, and someone else who knows more about it will jump mm-hmm. in and say, "Here's the real thing," um, and it's all in a good spirit. And so that interaction happens, and then it moves along. And everyone is fine. And now everyone knows more than they knew before. Yeah, um, right. It's maybe worth also saying, I think very important that we're applying the same community standards.
standards to the slack that we apply to all the behaviors around all the social and commenting on Book Riot's other platforms. So uh, the same rules about no name calling and uh, that we value feminism and social justice and inclusivity Mm -hmm. and that conversations about those things are going to occur and conversations that denigrate the value of those things will not be acceptable. Um, All of that safe space stuff gets applied to what happens in the slack because we care about it. That's the environment we want to live in. Um, that's the world we want to have for our readers and for the world in general, but we can, con- we can control the slack. Um, yeah. And also I think a big, before we get off of this, cause we've been talking about our mm-hmm. new thing for a while, um, is that we should say, I don't think we've mentioned on the show yet that we're not going to do a book riot live this year. Oh yeah. Um, I don't think we have. Did we, we? I mean, there was an announcement on the po in the site, but I don't think we talked about it on the yeah, show. Yeah. We had yeah. so good, much good, fun. Good catch. I'm sorry about that. I should have. We learned it, so. so much and it was wonderful to meet so many of y'all in person mm-hmm. and see the community gel together face to face was really magical and i think that people who attended it had that feeling too not just those of us who run it but it also costs us like a ton oh, of money God. but also a ton of attention and a ton of time and resources and we're able to try out something like this that we can do for the community um because we're getting rid of this other element so we, it's sad i know um if you were looking forward to book riot live and 2017. You can take a look. Um, all of you take a look, please. It's bookriot.com slash podcast insiders to see the different subscription levels and to join up. It'll cost you a lot less than your ticket and your airplane travel to Book Riot Live did. Yeah. And this, I, the two things are related, I think, um, mm-hmm. overtly is when we were looking at Book Riot Live. And um, as I said in the post that was announcing the, the non-announcement of Book Riot Live 2017 was it takes so much of our effort and time and resources. And for a small company like ours, it really needs that much, something that takes that much energy and attention and time and resources needs to make more money than it did. Um, And, you know, some other things too that came out of it, I think as well is like the tickets were relatively expensive for a book event, but also the ancillary costs of getting there, staying there, doing two days in New York, unless you live, you know, around the corner from the event space, or, you know, can get there, you know, for whatever reason, um, are, it was a real barrier. And one th- what we do pretty well is do book stuff on the internet. Um, and so this is our attempt to insiders, especially the Slack community and the podcast and other stuff is, can we do community type things that don't require people to put their bodies in a particular location at a particular time? Um, can we have an ongoing event, sort of? You know, I, that's kind of I think of Slack as ongoing small events and small communities and small interactions um, and have and have it work that way. And so, you know, you get a year of, of the top, the tier, Epic with Slack and everything else for $99, which is cheaper than a ticket to Book Riot Live. So if you're someone that likes to go to Book Riot Live and think about it, you know, maybe try this. You know, try this for a year. If you don't like it, don't do it next year. Or subscribe for a few months. If you don't find it interesting, worthwhile, don't feel about it, get it. Don't, you know, cancel your subscription, no hard feelings. So we don't want anyone to feel compelled. They have to do this. You're doing what you're doing an awesome thing for us by listening to the show and reading for the site. So again, maybe I'm overly sensitive to this idea that it's a fundraising drive or something like this. It's just a different thing. Um, and the way yeah, we're Book making Riot it will, yeah, will continue yeah. to exist, whether you subscribe to insiders or not, <laughs> the way we're making the money so that we can pay to make this new thing is, you know, direct, direct payment. Um, so yeah, if you have questions, um, go check it out. Do we even say that URL bookriot.com slash podcast insiders to subscribe? That way we know you you can come from us. You can check it out there. Um, yeah, uh, we're excited about it. It's been fun 24 hours already. 
No yeah. Doubt. And I say when you go to check it out, you'll be able to poke around at the new release index and see what it looks like. All the books from March are still available. Mm-hmm. So you can poke around with previously released titles and like try it yourself, how the sort works and filtering and all that. It's not a fire hose of comprehensive listing. This is curated about no, stuff that right. we think will be most interesting to everybody in the Book Riot community. Because the fire hose, I mean, that's the other thing is like about Edelweiss or something like that. It's not only is the UI kind of a disaster, but like even if it was arranged in a different way, you know, you can't drink from that fire hose. Like this is a book riot new release index, not a all the books coming out in every genre of all qualities and whatever. Like it, it, all, that right. wouldn't be helpful, but that's also not what this is. Um, so there's that as well. I mean, kind of as a segue kind of off that, one of the things we had a sort of 10, 15 minute conversation about in Book Riot Insider Slack this morning is I posted that the first reviews for mm. The Handmaid's Tale adaptation are coming out. It looks like, Critics got the first three episodes um, all at once, and they were embargoed until 1, p- East, 1 p.m. Eastern today. Um, and the reviews are good. They're very good. Uh, maybe terrifying, but good. <laughs> um, and so I was talking about it. It's been a while since I read The Handmaid's Tale, and I, I was having trouble remembering, and I don't want to do a spoiler for it, but just to give you an example of one question I think the show is going to wrestle us that this one particular review I'll link, we're linked to the show notes from The Verge is – you know, uh, what is, is it going to be a, an ending with hope or an ending without hope? How do you do what the book does at the end in a TV adaptation? If you've read the, and I had to have my memory mm-hmm. jogged by some other oh, people. Oh yeah, the frame story. Which doesn't really, I don't know, it'd be, it's, it'd be, it changes the tone a lot. Are you going to do that epilogue or you're not going to do that epilogue? Um, so we were talking about that and it got me thinking about dystopian novels because there are dystopian novels that are clearly dystopian that don't have, a happy ending, and there's some that have a little bit of a happier ending, and those are both called dystopian novels, which is you know different than romance because like 1984, which is the I guess canonical dystopian future novel, right? Yeah. Spoiler alert: not a happy ending. <laughs> not a happy ending. <laughs> but I was reading the Dog Stars the other day, and which I loved, by the way. Um, if you ever read that by Peter Heller, also a dystopian novel, but it ends. I mean, it's not the world doesn't put it back together, but like you feel like okay, life can go on, and it's not a complete mess. But those are still dystopian. But like this particular case, I think even for Handmaid's Tale, you can read it a couple different ways. And how does that play out on TV? TV, as you and I think have talked about before, doesn't do great with ambiguity. Neither does movies. Um, one reason that I think like the end of, um, boy, I'm just spoiling everything, but I won't say what happens, but the end of The Sopranos, mm-hmm. the end of Mad Men. I think people who like literary fiction were more comfortable with those things than oh, people yeah. who are, are more movie or TV people because we're used to this kind of stuff. Where, you know, is it happy? Is it sad? Is it yes? Is it no? Whatever. And it's delicious. Uh, yeah, you, I mean, we, we, you and I like <laughs> I it. I love we both that. Like, you and I, I both like that. interesting messes, but not everyone is like that. And that's fine. <laughs> right. That's totally fine. Um, I don't want you know, I, no intended judgment at all. But it's no. just a different thing. Um, but with a dystopian, like that's not Mad Men or The Sopranos where it's sort of one person's fate. You know, that's the center. This is the world. I mean, it's a different sort of moral and ethical and just emotional Thing the stakes for are higher, yeah. A dystopian novel or TV show or movie to end on a complete bummer. <laughs> you know, this is never going to get better. <laughs> or the other way. Um, but even Mad Men, like, you got some of the characters had more or less closure than others. It's funny that uh, Elizabeth Moss is in both of them. But um, so, yeah, so th- it sounds like it's going to be good. You know, it might be something where we try on the insiders, like, like, once the first episode comes out, maybe we have sort of a chat about it. We just don't have a forum to do stuff like that. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're going to play around with it. And if you join and you've got ideas, um, questions, criticisms, things you like to do better, it's a bit of a work in progress. Like it's not necessarily that we're going to do it exactly this way forever, but we want to make a thing that's cool for people who want to have a cool thing made for them along these lines. Um, So that's another, you know, cool thing to the boy that the trailer. I don't, are you going to, you're going to watch this, aren't you? Oh, yeah. I'm going to watch the crap out of it. I don't know if I'm. I don't know if I'm going to watch it. I'm rereading the book. I said in this. I there's a really cool, beautiful new hardcover edition of The Handmaid's Tale coming out to that's coinciding with the release of the TV show from HMH, and it's not like a TV or movie adaptation cover. Like it's very iconic, sort of using that red robe with the sort of almost bonnet thing that the handmaids wear. Mm-hmm. wear. Oh yeah, I, you can fairly call that a bonnet. Yeah, put a bonnet on it. Um, <laughs> and. I'm going to reread it, but I don't know if I can bring myself to watch this show. Yeah, I don't know. If, I just don't know if, you if were, I because your your line for TV, yeah, like k- kind of gore, but it's like any squick factor on TV for you is hard. And there's a lot of mm-hmm. squick in The Handmaid's Tale, and some of it is sex squick. And yeah, yeah, I I don't I don't know. Not that I'm anyone black. likes people. I mean, no one likes to watch people getting raped. But I well, just no, of I just not. I mean, I'm not saying it's it's just I don't. I don't know. And I, I don't want to like shy well, away from tough stuff, but I, I'm going to give myself credit. It's well, the TV it's, stuff. I'll read the book. Yeah, and it, I was just uh, say, It's interesting. Like interacting with those scenes and ideas on the page is different from watching them play out yeah. in front of you and can be more, I think can be more disturbing watching it on mm-hmm. TV. Um, so anyway, I'm gonna, I, yeah, I'm, gonna watch I'm sure there's, there's a, a lot of psychological studies about, you know, effects and whatever, and maybe I should be watching them. I don't know. But uh, this is where I'm protecting myself a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I, I think we should do a in. we should do a poll about which trailer is scarier, The Handmaid's Tale or It. <laughs> oh, I think the ha- I mean the straight up horror stuff doesn't bother me because it's like fantastical, like you know, like I can it's watch Quentin Tarantino, right? Yeah, that stuff doesn't bother me as much. But the this kind of this is absolutely you know, or a kid getting kidnapped. Like, mm-hmm. there's no way in the world I could read the novel room. But I cannot watch the movie room. There's oh just yeah, no, no, shot. no, no, no. None. I couldn't. I None. could not do that. And Jen, our coworker and uh, dear friend, will be visiting me when The Handmaid's Tale drops yeah. on Hulu, and I feel like we're just going to have to make a blanket for it. Like Amanda will come yeah, over right. and we'll make a blanket for it, and we'll all be like, "Deep breath, okay." Yeah, and like maybe each one of you hold like a baseball bat or sort of like a <laughs> melee weapon, like in a, a melee weapon, a household melee weapon. If we give Amanda a bat, we're never going to get it back. That's true. That's true, especially if it has skulls on it and like spikes. <laughs> You know, kind of like from the Warriors, yes, or Mad Max. I think that's our show. Oh boy, that's our show. That's our show. Uh, as, as, podcast uh, at bookriot dot com for recommendations, especially. Uh, was there anything else we're asking people about? Nonfiction. Mm, no. Yeah. If you, yes. If you're a nonfiction what do you know about nerd, nonfiction? Tell me about the nonfiction community if there is one, um, and if there isn't, don't, and we'll know. Um, and also check out Insiders bookriot dot com slash podcast insiders. You can go check out and subscribe there. Uh, ask us questions. You know, we can answer if there's, we get questions that we can answer on the show. We can certainly answer them. Um, that's our show. We'll talk to you next week. I'm trying, what is our deadline for? You got uh, at least another the, week. Yeah. The 7th of May is when the show will air. Yeah, with Mom's so we'll record on about the 30th. So we'll, we'll make a last call for a recommendation request next week on next week's show. Is that right? Something like that? Yes. That sounds good. Okay. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you later. (laughs) Have a good one.